Welcome to Parkside Bible Fellowship. Very good. Anyway, uh, Maria and I have uh, three girls, and we're kind of in a weird, uh, weird, and uh, we're in a predictable, though unusual for us, stage in life where our oldest girl has moved to college. So we have uh, two high school girls left, so we're kind of getting used to that. That's kind of an interesting stage in life. Um, uh, additionally, uh, many of you know, uh, perhaps some of you don't, but in November, I had a heart attack. Uh, mighty myocardial infarction, big fancy word for heart attack. Had a great deal of chest pain right after lunch at work, at my desk at work. And I laid there, not laid there, I sat there and uh, sweated and uh, felt terrible for about uh, 20 minutes before I had mentioned to a co-worker that I thought he should drive me to the hospital, which he did. And uh, within, you know, by God's grace, within about two hours of that experience, they gave me uh, some medicine, which uh, dissolved that clot. And they put a stent, which is kind of like a little tube, uh, in, my, in that artery that was clogged. And almost immediately thereafter, I started doing better. And um, that night was a little bit tricky and uh, had some complications. But uh, thereafter, I've progressed very steadily. And, um, and I'm very, very grateful to the Lord for uh, really returning my health. The doctor has cleared me to do whatever I want. I can eat anything I want, uh, within reason. And, uh, but uh, anyway, I'm, I'm cleared there, and I have no, you know, um, I just uh, praise God to say that I have no permanent disability. Because, you know, that could have been tragic. It could have been terrible. But the Lord was uh, very kind to me through that experience. And not, uh, and not only to me, because, you know, if, uh, if you have ever gone through a significant health or a significant life issue, you know that it affects your whole family. It doesn't affect just you. It affects your wife. You know, it affects your children. And, uh, and so needless to say, while I was in intensive care, my children were concerned and my wife was concerned. And, uh, and you, my church body really came to serve us, really came to serve me, really came to serve and bless my wife and my children. I just want to take this opportunity to thank you very much. Thank you for your service and thank you for your love. You know, you you brought us meals and you ran errands and you called and checked on us. And so I'm very grateful, very grateful to the Lord for you, for you people and the role you've had in my life. So anyway, thank you very much. I think our audio problems are all cleared up now, so... Well, let's, let's uh, continue in uh, uh, Brennan's uh, series in 1 John. Uh, we're going to continue right where, we're gonna actually going to review a little bit of what Brennan said, and then, oh, you know, I need the clicker. Thank you very much. Uh, we're going to continue, um, we're going to review briefly what Brennan covered, and then we're going to move on and uh, cover some additional stuff from there. Um, if, uh, if you're new to this whole church thing or this Bible thing, um, don't be intimidated when the pastor says, turn in your Bibles to first John and you go, where in the world is that in the front of every Bible in front of every Bible, there is a table of contents. Go there, find first John. If you do that, you're going to find four books that bear John's name, the gospel of John, first John, second John, third John. We want first John. That's the one you're looking for. You know, uh, I was thinking about, uh, I didn't pick out the face, but you know, uh, Jim the Barber, I was thinking this morning, we're just John, the, John the Apostle and Jim the Barber. They kind of they go together, don't you think? They do. Okay, so first John. Um, as uh, Brennan covered uh, briefly last week, John, uh, the same John that was an apostle, that was one of the 12 apostles, wrote this book. Now, if you read this book very closely, it's only a few pages long, but if you read it with you know, a yellow pad and a red pen, you'll find that the author never really identifies himself. So how, in the world, how do we know? 
John really wrote this book. Well, there's uh, um, John who wrote Second John and Third John as well. He identifies himself in those books. In those books, he calls himself the Elder, and we'll get to it in a little bit why perhaps he used that name. And when he wrote the Gospel of John, uh, he called himself the one whom Jesus loved. But in First John, the book we're looking at, he doesn't actually identify himself. So, you know, why do we believe that he, that he wrote the book? Well, if you, um, if you compare the writing styles of the Gospel in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you'll find some very, very persuasive evidence, some real characteristics in those books that all go together. If you sit down for an hour and a half, and that's probably all it would take, and read all four of those books at one setting, you'd, you'd close your Bible and say, oh yeah, the same guy wrote all those books, I'm just sure of it. And it's because John has some very identifiable writing styles that kind of jump out at you right off the page. Um, he, used, uh, he used a lot of short, profound statements. How does, um, how does the Gospel of John begin? Anybody? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What? <laughs> What, what exactly? And, you know, in that one sentence, people have written books about to try to... He used short, profound statements. And we find those in the Gospel of John, and we find those in this book, First John. In this book, he used um, uh, an expression we're going to spend some time looking at this morning where he says, uh, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Well, we, we're going to try to unpack some of that. But anyway, that, that was, that's kind of a hallmark of John's style, short profound statements. Likewise, John uses lots of uh, big contrasts. He talked, you know, for a, a chapter or two, he'll talk about light versus darkness or truth versus falsehood. He uses these great big contrasts. And, and so if you read these books, you very quickly come to the conclusion that the same guy wrote all these books. And there's always going to be, always, 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 going to be people that, uh, that dispute the authorship of books in the Bible. And there's always going to be dissenters, and, but I'm convinced. You know, the, for the last 2,000 years, everyone that cares, like us, everyone that loves the Lord, has attributed the authorship of this book to John. I'm, I'm right there with him. So I, I'm convinced that John wrote this book. Okay? So, uh, so that uh, covers, you know, adequately, I think, who wrote the book of John. Just before we jump in there, let's spend just a moment and talk about the when. A lot of times I read the, you know, the, there's usually a little preface to each book in your Bible. And sometimes I read that and sometimes I don't. And uh, it almost always includes the estimated time when we think the book was written. And I read it and I go, well, who, who cares? I mean, I, why is this important to me? Well, this, this particular, John, the books he wrote... The, the dating of those books is a little bit interesting because they're all so late in the first century. They're all like 90, 95, 98 A.D., you know, that many years after the birth of Christ. And uh, which is, you know, okay, so what? Well, if you think about it, if John was born, if John was the same age as Jesus, then, when, then if he wrote this book when he's in 95 A.D., that means he wrote the book when he was about 95 years old. You see the math there, how that works? So, and, uh, so that's, that's pretty, pretty awfully old, especially given the fact that the uh, average lifespan of that time was like between 25 and 50 for a man. So it's pretty awfully unusual. It's miraculous that uh, John could be so old and, uh, and live then and still, uh, and still 
I've written the book. Now that's assuming that Jesus, here, I'll come look at this side for a while. That's uh, assuming that Jesus, excuse me, that John was the same age as Jesus. You know, in your mind, when you imagine them wandering this hillside in Galilee together, uh, you know, what, were, they, were they the same age? Were they different ages? We don't know. We, the Bible tells us that Jesus started his ministry when he was about 30, but we don't know how old John was. And uh, it's possible, the Bible doesn't say this, but it's possible that he was much younger than Jesus. You know, Peter and Bartholomew and James and all, Simon and all those guys, I'm, I, 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 I imagine them to be 35, 37, maybe 40, maybe. Well, it's possible that John was 15. Now, the Bible doesn't say this. We not, I'm not going way out on this limb. But uh, it's possible he was the kid among the group. And, uh, and if that's true, and that's kind of an if, I'm just putting this out there for your consideration. If that's true, it kind of helps us understand some uh, details that, that we find in the Gospels that otherwise might not make a lot of sense. Like, why is it that John was able to outrun Peter to the tomb? But when he got to the tomb, he was afraid to go in. He just stayed there, waited for Peter to show up. And then once Peter showed up, kind of huffing and out of breath, Peter went right in. He's not waiting on anybody. It's possible that John was scared. It's possible John was a very young man. And he got there, and, but he was afraid to go in. Um, likewise, his, if, if in fact he was young, that may have been the reason he was excluded from the, uh, from the continual acidic debate over which disciple was the greatest. You know, because if, in fact, he was 15, 20 years younger than everybody else, he wasn't even in the running. <laughs> they didn't even count him. You know, he was just, he, he was on the outside of that argument. And uh, likewise, I've always wondered why Jesus would bestow special affection on John. Like at the Last Supper, you know, they, they didn't sit at a table. They sat on kind of like chase lounges at the pool and with their feet behind them, and they would lean over the table. Well, Jesus, uh, John was in the very favored and, uh, I don't know what the right word is, uh, the very favored position where he got to lay next to Jesus. Not only did he lay next to Jesus, he leaned back on him and talked to Jesus during the Last Supper. Why would Jesus give such special affection to just one apostle in the presence of all the other apostles? Wouldn't you feel left out? Well, it wouldn't have been such a big deal if, in fact, John was, you know, 15, 16, if he was different than the others. You know, finally, we see examples in the Gospels of John having peculiar peculiarly extra strong faith or maybe he was maybe his faith was more childlike anyway the bible doesn't say all that but i think it's pretty interesting conjecture i think it kind of helps me and it might explain why he was able to live why his books were written so late in the first century but at the very least you know i could be right i could be wrong doesn't really matter at the very least when john wrote first john he was either old like 70 or he was really really old like 95, 98, something like that. So, so uh, what do you say we actually look at it? Why don't we uh, turn to the passage and uh, let's briefly review what Brennan uh, uh, covered last week. We're going to read the very first few verses of First John, chapter 1. It says, uh, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. 
Okay. So um, Brennan covered some, uh, some key points last week. First of all, in no uncertain terms, you know, the, the strongest language possible, John here says that uh, explicitly affirms Jesus' incarnation. He really did come. God became a man. That's what that big fat word incarnation means. God became a man. John said, we saw him, we touched him, we punched him in the arm, we ran side by side, we all worked together. I'm telling you, God became a man. And in this very passage, John called Jesus the word of life, which is a remarkable title, remarkable title, the word of life. And I thought it was very interesting how Brennan talked about how Jesus is not only the message, not only the message, but the messenger. You know, Jesus not only brought the message from the Father, he was the message. He was it. You know, uh, so many times we construct our own notions of God. Well, I think God is like this. You know, and I think God feels this way. Well, who cares how you think? (laughs) You know, it doesn't really matter what I think. It doesn't really matter what we think. It matters what God thinks. And God has revealed how he thinks in the person of his son. So Jesus is both God's message and the messenger. And then finally, in this last bit, when we, uh, when we submit to God's message, when we uh, abandon our notions and we accept what God has revealed in the, form, in the person of Jesus, then we can have fellowship, fellowship and joy with God. Okay, so let's, uh, let's leave that portion behind and let's go on. Let's look at the, uh, the, the, uh, the next few verses that we're going to spend some more time on this morning. So I'm going to read uh, verses 5 through 7. It says, oh, there we go. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Okay. So John's introduction here, he's kind of changing gears here. He's starting a new paragraph. And his very first sentence is, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. Okay, now use your, uh, use your imagination briefly. Uh, if, uh, if you were to come home from work, gentlemen, if you were to come home from work, you set your stuff down, you walk in the living room, your wife's, you know, at the counter, I don't know, paying a bill, doing something. Seems like my wife is always writing greeting cards. But uh, anyway... Uh, she's doing something, and as you walk by, she says, oh, by the way, Jesus called. And uh, there's a message for you on the counter. What? But, I mean, imagine if that really were to happen. Jesus called? Really? Jesus called? Jesus called on the phone? Yes, he did, and his message is in there in the kitchen somewhere on the counter. Well, assuming you could get over the notion of Jesus actually calling, would you be interested in reading the message? How eager would you be to read that message? Where is it? Oh, it's in the kitchen. Just find it. it's in there. So no one in this house is going to rest until I find the message from Jesus. I want to see the message from Jesus. Well, here, we're going to, this morning, we're going to read. John the, John the Apostle says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. Do you want to hear a message from Jesus? I would like to hear a message from Jesus. That message is that God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Jesus has a message for us today. And that message is that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all.
Now, I said earlier that uh, John is famous for these short, profound statements that we, you know, you can think about for weeks or days. And this is one of them. He says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Well, first of all, um, he says, no kidding, he says, God is light. Well, is God light? Is, is he saying that God is made of light? That when you see light from a light bulb, you're seeing God? No, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think that's kind of silly. I think we can all spread that. We can push that out. In fact, in the Gospel of John, the same author, same guy, said that God is spirit. So this is a metaphor. This is a picture. This is a symbol. Uh, he's using something. He's using a tool that we can learn from. Learn from. Why did he use a metaphor? Why didn't he just come out and tell me? I don't want to have to struggle with a metaphor. Just tell me exactly what to know, and then I'll know it. Well, John chose not to do that. He's using a metaphor here. Why did he use a metaphor? Well, he's, he used a metaphor here for the same reason we use metaphors today. You take, uh, you take something you do understand. Uh, let me rephrase that. You take something you do understand, and you... Uh, I'm backwards. You take something you don't understand, and you liken it to something you do understand. And then by comparing the two, you get a better understanding of the thing you don't understand. So John here is comparing God to light. And he's suggesting by the use of this metaphor that if we look at light and study it, we can learn about God. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Okay, so, uh, so what, uh, what do we know about light? Well, more importantly, what did John know about light? Because really, he's the one that chose the metaphor. Now, I submit to you that John knew about as much knew uh, as much about light as a uh, six-year-old kid would know about light today. You know, I don't think John, John didn't know anything about frequencies and wavelengths and color spectral dissemination. Blah blah blah. You know, John knew what anybody would know about light. Well, what what do we know about light? Well, with light. We can, uh, we can go places. We can get stuff done. And we can do our work with confidence. Why do we call blindness a disability? Because if you don't have light, you can't hardly do much. I'm not disrespecting blind people in any way. I'm just, it's a tremendous disability. And I, we all, I fear blindness. I would hate to be blind. The lack of light would significantly impact my ability to do all the things that I want to do. When I get up in the morning, if the sun's not on, if the sun's not on, if the sun's not up, I turn on a light because I want to get my stuff done. If I wander around in that house in the dark, I get nothing done. Light enables us to do our, to do our work, to get our stuff done. We got lights on here this morning. Why, why, we, we don't actually have to have them. We could probably get by without them. Why do we turn them on? Because light enables us to see, duh. Light enables us to see, enables us to know it enables us to understand. Light lets us achieve what we want to achieve. Uh, and light empowers us. Now, the opposite of light is darkness. And the opposite of being empowered is to be powerless, is to be impotent, is uh, to be unable to succeed. Now, in English, there's a word we use for an inability to succeed, and, and it's failure. Failure is terrible, terrible. I don't know if you've ever struggled with failure, but failure is awful. 
It's like a millstone around your neck. No matter where you go, you carry it around with you. Uh, Failure can make a man cry. Are you failing? You know, life is, this is a darkness we all face at some point. Are are you failing at something important? Are you afraid you will fail? Are you, um, is is success for other people? Have you given up trying because you're just uh, afraid to go there? Failure is too real. Failure is too painful. You know, failure is a terrible, terrible darkness. And if you're struggling with that darkness, then praise God, Jesus has a message for you today. And that message is that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. God is light. And in him there is no failure. In him we can all succeed. God um, wants you to succeed. God wants you to succeed. He wants you to thrive and be powerful and strong. And he wants you to succeed. Now, when I'm talking about, we live in America, so when you say the word success, we all think dollars. We all think money. Well, that's not the success God's talking about. God wants to empower you unto real success, real, real lasting, meaningful success. The success uh, that is the respect of people that know you best. That's success. Success is, and the power God wants to give you is joy in an honest day's work. He wants to give you satisfaction from doing your best, regardless of how the results turn out. God wants to give you freedom from worry about what other people think. That is success. That is success. God is light. He is power. He is success. In him, there is no darkness at all. If you have failed, God wants to give you light. He wants to give you power. So light enables us to do what we want to do. Light gives us power and it enables us to succeed. Well, it also makes us feel secure. Also, light also makes us feel safe. I predict no one in this room will try to drive home from church with their eyes closed. If you did, that's just foolish. That's just ridiculous. That's stupid. And we wouldn't even think of that. Why? Because uh, if, if you can't see, you wouldn't... Uh, if you could not see... I bet you'd never run. I bet you'd never get over a walk. But because we can see, we're comfortable driving 70 miles an hour to Reno. You know, light gives us safety. Light gives us security. Light makes us feel secure. When I, uh, when I used to jog before work, and I know that was a while ago, but uh, when I used to jog before work, uh, sometimes it would be dark. And, and the only thing that really scared me, jogging in the dark, was the sound of a dog's collar. Somewhere in the darkness. You don't know if it's coming from this way. You can't see that. It would freak me out. I couldn't find that dog anywhere. But I knew he was coming. And it scared me. I would never have had that problem in the day. Never. The problem was uh, the lack of light. Light makes us feel secure. Um, You know, and uh, I'm sorry, I'm a little behind here on the notes. Light protects. Darkness, however, is isolating makes you feel alone. Darkness is kind of frightening. And it's, off, it's often cold. Uh, are you in the dark? Is your life kind of dark right now? Are there people or circumstances in your life that uh, frighten you, that bring you fear? There, are, there, are there things going on you just can't control? Are you ill? Someone you love ill? Are you unemployed? That's pretty frightening. 
Or is, or is uh, your husband unemployed? That can be pretty frightening. Are you afraid to die? Are you afraid of shame? Are you afraid of this, that, or the Are you afraid? Are you struggling with fear in your life? Life is full of, of dark, frightening things. But I have a message for you from Jesus. God is light. And in him, there is no fear. In him, there is safety. There is protection. There is well-being. God protects his children. And however dark your fear, and some of them are pretty bad, however dark your fear, God offers you light today. Praise God. You can be ill. You can be ill and, and, and be safe. And you can be unemployed and you can be safe. And your marriage can really struggle and you can be safe. God offers protection. Finally, you know, perhaps, and this is not necessarily the last thing that John was thinking of, it's the last thing that occurred to me, is that uh, we're talking about light and John's comparison of God to light. Light exposes the truth. You never find roaches in the dark, right? You're pretty sure they're there, <laughs> but uh, you can't find roaches in the dark. When you turn on that light, you, you can expose the truth. You know, the, uh, the very expressions, oh, well, when uh, something comes to light, or maybe so-and-so can shed some light on this topic, those very expressions convey the meaning of, well, when I understand it better, when I, when I have all the facts and get my arms around it, then I'll know what to do. I'll be able to act appropriately. Light exposes truth. Light exposes truth. And uh, not only, or perhaps more, a better way to put it is more specifically, light not only exposes the truth, but God's light exposes the truth about you. God's light exposes the truth about me. We, we just can't hide anything from God. Just can't hide anything from God. And this notion of God's light shining in our lives will either cause, will either cause us to recoil, will either step back in fear from God's knowledge, from his insight into my heart, will either recoil from it or will embrace it. You know, if, if you are not uh, one of God's children, and how do you get to be a God's, God's child? Well, if, if you haven't, if you haven't confessed your sin to God and, uh, and asked his forgiveness, then you're outside his family, plain and simple. And, and if you are, and if that scenario applies to you, if that describes your life, if you're on the outside looking in and you know, there's, you know it's not right between you and God and you, and you haven't gone to him and asked for his forgiveness and made him the Lord of your life, then his light will beam and shine into your heart and be a continual source of anxiety. His light won't bring you joy. His light will bring you fear because he knows what's inside your heart. And, and his, uh, his light will, will expose things that you would honestly prefer have remained secret. When I was seven, I lived in Texas, front pew of our church. I knelt and I went through those steps. I, I knew that I had willingly chosen to disobey God. We all have doesn't take much to admit that. You know, and I, I told God, and he wants to hear those words, you know, you were right. I, I chose to sin and I have disobeyed you and I, I'm sorry. And I asked his forgiveness. And I asked him to become the boss of my life. In church sometimes we say to be the Lord of your life, but nonetheless, to be the, to, to lead, to take over. And he did. He did take over. And that, at that moment, I became a Christian. At that moment, he made me his child. 
And, and ever since that moment, his light that, has, that in the past gave me fear, that his light, his knowingness, his knowledge into my heart that gave me trepidation and made me nervous and gave me anxiety, now that light gives me comfort and peace. He knows what's inside me, and he's chosen to love me anyway. Huh. How, how liberating is that? How wonderful is that to, to know I don't have to hide. I don't have to hide the secrets of my heart anymore. He already knows. He already knows. You know, and, uh, and when I was uh, on that pew, when I was a boy in Texas, when, when I was on that pew, I didn't come to God and tell him that I'd, I'd led a pretty good life. I'm only seven. I haven't really killed anybody yet. You know, I didn't, uh, I didn't tell God that I was better than most. Or at the very least, I had a few hand-picked people that I decided I was better than, you know. I didn't tell God that, uh, that I had tried my best or that I, was, uh, that I was pretty good or that I was an American or that I came from a good family or that, or that, or that, or that. Or that. It's all silly. It's all pointless to, to, to try and justify ourselves in God's beaming light. He knows. Don't tell God you're good. You're not. He knows, Right? He can see everything in our hearts. He knows why we decide. He he can see the very essence of our decisions and what motivated us to do every little thing. He knows God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. And if, if you are on the outside of God's family, he knows and he offers you forgiveness. Oh, how wonderful is that? And if you are on the inside of God's family by his grace, he knows what's in your heart. And he has chosen to forgive you anyway. And he offers you freedom from shame. How wonderful is that? That is just fabulous. God's light exposes our sin. He offers forgiveness. And he offers freedom from shame. Let, let's go on. Let's go on to the next couple verses. If, you're still, if you still have your Bible open, let's read uh, verse, let's start at verse 6 says, if we claim, uh, John says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Okay, so John is now, he's changing gears a little bit. He's going to introduce three new Two new metaphors, and I don't know what the three more new, three new literary devices, I don't know. Anyway, he talks about walking in the darkness, walking in the light, and fellowship. Those are the three things that dominate this, these passages. So let's read it again, and look for those three things. It says, if we, uh, if we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin okay let's start at the top he says if we claim to have fellowship with uh fellowship with him do you claim to have fellowship with jesus you can answer in your own heart there i do i i claim to be a christian a follower of jesus christ i claim to have fellowship with jesus well but well a uh, follower of christ do you walk in the darkness and 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 more specifically what, what does it really mean what does it really mean to walk in the darkness? Because that's, it's important we figure that out. Well, if you think about it, darkness doesn't really exist. Darkness is not a thing. It's just the absence of light. Light is a real thing. Darkness is just that light's not there. 
So I suggest to you that walking in the darkness is really just walking in the absence of God's light. Does that make sense? You know, in the book of uh, Romans, Woody read from it during uh, the prayer time, um, Paul uses this theme throughout the book of Romans. He talks about the flesh, walking in the flesh, walking, uh, walking in the spirit. It's really, the, it's really the same concept. It's this notion of what are the desires of your heart? What are the priorities uh, and, um, and guidelines by which you live? Um, um, when I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't know your struggles, but I certainly know mine. And the Holy Spirit has no compunction whatsoever, no hesitancy to come to me and say, that's not right. <laughs> you, you need to, I, I want you to do this my way, not your way. You need to, you need to be like this. And when the Holy Spirit comes to me and, and uses those words and confronts me on the status of my flesh, on the desires of my heart, well then, now I'm faced with a decision. What will I do? Will I, if I stiff arm the Holy Spirit... And, and choose to do things my way, then I walk in darkness. If I, um, if I prioritize my behavior according to my pleasures, I walk in darkness. If I refuse to apologize when I really should apologize, then I walk in darkness. And conversely, when I obey the Holy Spirit's uh, words to me, calling me to repent or change or act or do whatever, when I obey, then I walk in light. When I, allow, when I change my priorities to mirror those of God, I walk in light. When I'm quick to repent, I walk in light. Well, what is the, what is the consequence of uh, walking in either light or dark? John says it affects our fellowship. Now, many times we, uh, we use that word a lot, and then sometimes it's not very well defined, but so many times it's confused with, uh, with salvation, fellowship with God, salvation. And, and I just want to take, take a moment to... To kind of address that, a couple of the high school boys and I are memorizing a verse out of 2 Corinthians. You guys want to quote it for me? Anybody? No? 2 Corinthians 1.22 says, uh, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He, he, set, he anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. It's an important verse about whether or not you can lose your salvation as a Christian. We're talking about Christians now. Can a Christian lose their salvation? Well, if you think about it, I don't guarantee the fact that I stay saved. God does. It says right here, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. I don't stand firm because I'm a resolute guy or I'm strong or I'm disciplined or I'm wise or good. I don't stand firm in Christ for that reason. I stand firm because God makes me stand firm in Christ. Praise God. That's good news. That's good news. He set his seal of ownership on me. He put his spirit in my heart as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. I don't guarantee my salvation. He guarantees my salvation. Furthermore, God is the guarantor of my salvation. And furthermore, he put his Holy Spirit in my heart as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Well, that's good news. Okay, so that's an important, it's important component of salvation. But John is talking about fellowship. You can lose fellowship. You can lose fellowship. Well, you know, to take a half step back, what is fellowship? Last Sunday, uh, Maria and I went to a lunch with the Morrisons. You know, we had uh, Chinese food, I think, you know, Mexican. Anyway, it was fun. It was fun. You know, fellowship involves interaction. It involves uh, communication. It usually involves coffee, even, you know, at some point. You know, um, 
fellowship is, uh, is being together in a pleasurable way. Now, um, now, if I were to offend my brother Monty, if I were to do something to Monty that, that would affect our fellowship, you know, if I was doing something, if I said something or did something mean, it would it'd be a problem. We really wouldn't like to hang out as much together. There'd be a break in our fellowship. You know, and I suppose if I did something bad enough, it could even affect our relationship. Well, let me abandon Monty for a second. And, and when I think of, like, my, my dad, my dad who lives in California, um, what if I offended him? What if I did something really, did something, said something really bad that have broke our fellowship so that we didn't really want to talk on the phone, we didn't want to visit because there's this elephant in the room that until we get this worked out, things are just not going to be right. It's going to affect our fellowship. Well, even if I did something heinous and terrible, I'd still be his son and he'd still be my father. It wouldn't affect our relationship. It would affect our fellowship. Does that make sense? And that's the way we are. With, with Jesus. That's the way Christians are with Jesus. If you have a sin in your life, if you're, if you're walking in darkness, you'll lose fellowship. But praise God, not, not, your, uh, not salvation. So, um, it's, uh, you, know, it's, you know, I love my dad and I, I love hanging out with Monty, but I'd, I'd much rather fellowship with Jesus. And the, um, sorry, I'm a little behind here. When I obey the Holy Spirit and I obey his promptings, I walk in the light. And when I ignore the Holy Spirit or disobey him, I walk in the darkness. And, you know, and what did, uh, what did John say? He said, uh, I'm going to have to find it here. Here we go. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us, purifies us from all sin. Um, let's, let's look backwards just for a minute. There's only a, really a few lessons that I'm hoping that you'll remember from this morning. You know, first of all, John compared God to light. That's not a critical thing for you to memorize. But uh, John did compare God to light. And just as light enables us to succeed, God wants you to succeed. I, I find such great comfort in those words. If you are failing, God offers you light. God offers you hope. Hope to succeed. And just as light protects us from the things we cannot see, like that dog, I've got visions of that dog. Anyway, just as light protects us from the things we cannot see, God protects us from the things we fear. If you're crippled by fear, and it's easy to be crippled by fear, if you're crippled by fear, God offers you light, offers you protection, offers you safety. And then finally, just as light exposes the truth, God's light exposes the truth about us. Now, if you're uh, outside his family, that's a hard spot to be in. That's a dangerous place to be in. And despite his light, despite his knowledge of what's in your heart, he offers you forgiveness. Oh, how wonderful is that? And if you are on the inside of his family, if you've already submitted to Jesus Christ, then he offers you freedom from shame. You can let that baggage go. He already knows. He already knows. And he has chosen to love you anyway. He can let that go. And then finally, when I obey the Holy Spirit, I, uh, let, me, let me back, let me change that. When I willingly uh, disobey the Holy Spirit, when I choose to disobey the Holy Spirit, I walk in darkness and I lose fellowship with Jesus. But when I walk in the light, 
I, I have fellowship with not only with Jesus, but with you, with everyone else. And that's sweet. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being light, light in my life, life that empowers, life that protects, light, light that exposes the truth. Lord, how good you are. Father, we lift you up. I, uh, I pray that you would do your work in my life and that we would not only honor you for being light, but that we would walk in the light and choose to please you at every turn. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.